The following is a teaching from Church of the Redeemer. We pray that you will be blessed by this teaching. Well, I am so happy to have with us again this weekend, and we as a church family are happy to welcome again our dear friend, James Brown. James really needs no, uh, no introduction. Most of you know him from CBS Sports and from his work with CBS News and just uh, being a tremendous uh, personality on television. But more than that, he's a man that really has a deep love for God and a love for God's Word. And I am so happy to be able to spend a little bit of time tonight with James, with you all together. I'm going to throw him some questions. I mean, you know, that sometimes the interviewer needs to be interviewed. Amen? Okay? So that's what we're going to do tonight. So would you welcome James Brown as he comes to share with us. James, come on up. Please have a seat, James. You know, I did tell James ahead of time that uh, we're going to spend some time talking. I have some questions I want to ask him, and we're going to do a little bit different this year than we have done in the past because I feel like there's some things that are really on James's heart that I really want to draw out and have him to share with you in this season. Uh, but James, I, I am fairly intimidated by st- sitting here trying to interview one of the, the, the major interviewers uh, in news, but we're happy to have you here at Church of the Dreamers. So don't you welcome the folks, tell them uh, what's been going on in your life recently, and kind of so update much. us, if you will. You know, the intimidation is talking to someone who I am still learning from, so rest assured, I pray that the Holy Spirit will guide me this evening. And uh, actually, Pastor Dale, I, I guess his descriptions ago, um, Pastor, that... Um, uh, that my burden is light and my yoke is easy. So you've done that for me coming off of what has been a pretty aggressive um, travel schedule for me, mostly in ministry work. And I'm very, very thankful for that. Uh, but I also realized that I did not have a completely baked sermon and I was not going to stand up on your pulpit and not have it together. So hopefully you would pull that out of me. But I just wanted to come essentially, I guess if there's one theme, although there's a title, is just to commend everyone here at the Church of the Redeemer Um, As I travel around the country, uh, there's no question, Pastor Dale, that the congregation here at Church of the Redeemer, uh, they live God's word in all that they do. So I'm hoping that by way of what you pull out of me, it will reinforce that what they are doing to keep doing to try to address so many of the ills that I see out here in the world where it seems like a spirit of hate has just been released everywhere and for us to be the salt and light to combat it. Yeah, good. That's excellent. Mm -hmm. Before we get into some of that, that's really what I want to pull out of you tonight and talk about James together with our congregation. And uh, I guess I think there's some things that God is putting on your heart. I think a very important message for us to hear. But before we get into that, I know that many, many of the folks perhaps here, some of the folks here know you as a television personality. They know you on sports and they watch you oftentimes on Sunday afternoons with CBS Sports and the NFL and so forth, but they don't know a lot about your faith journey. And so uh, I'm not sure that you've ever actually given your testimony here at our church, but should you give us just a little bit of a sense of sort of your journey into faith in Christ? Why is faith important to you? And, and uh, how have you gotten to this point in your faith? Share a little bit of that with your wow, testimony. Pastor, I think in synopsis form, um, My family, while always a good family, rooted on a firm foundation, we didn't come to a saving knowledge in Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ, until probably late. Uh, Maybe I was about 24, 25 years of age. I remember distinctly as a kid in elementary school hearing some evangelist, if you will, on the radio. uh, This is before most of you were born, who... um, (laughs) 
certainly have planted a seed in me that wasn't watered and came to fruition until I was about age uh, 24. Uh, my mom, God bless her, who everyone has heard me tell the story about how you helped me to, to deal with the grieving process of my mother passing. My father went home to be with the Lord at the age of 46. And his only instruction to us was to make certain that we took care of mom. But we followed mom. And as she grabbed the hold of Christ, we grabbed the hold of Christ. And probably the seminal moment for me was after not realizing my dream of playing professional basketball with the Atlanta Hawks, who I was drafted by, coming home, working for Xerox in corporate America, um, and seemingly having all that the world defined as success, the accoutrements of success things, it was so very shallow. And being engaged in hedonistic pursuits, um, you know, happy hours, going to parties, Pastor Dale, it was as empty as can be. And I remember distinctly the seminal moment was tooling around in my little sports car, heading back home after a training session at Xerox and realizing that it was an empty lifestyle. I asked the Lord, if you'll show me who you are, that I will serve you. And it wasn't one week later, as I shared with you at the United Pastors Network, that uh, some of my athlete friends invited me to a party, a pajama party, a pajama party. (laughs) 24 years of age, I'm going to a pajama party? What can that lead to? So, And I felt like I had committed high treason, but I recommitted my efforts. I said, Father, I'm truly sorry. Please show me who you are. And it began a 12-year search for a good word-teaching church to help me to rightly divide the word and apply it in my life, and I've been on that path ever since. Yes, sir. You know, you're in the professional business, and obviously most of the folks that are here, they serve in different environments in the, in the secular world, and you have to take your faith into that world. So talk about, just for briefly, kind of how your faith impacts the work that you do and how it kind of frames how you go about living your life in the, in the professional realm. I can say at this point, my faith is the foundational stone period. It frames everything that I do. I have a biblical worldview unapologetically, unashamedly. But that was a process to get to that point. You were describing to me about having a church that's got a good teaching that can speak to those who are seasoned in the word and those who are new in the word. Early on, pastor, I remember our bishop telling us, you may not understand things of the Bible, but keep coming. Just like if I were to use the, the, the simple example in the world of sports playing football, you can't play football unless you understand football language uh, as much as they will use code to call out a play in football. Well, the same thing with spiritual things. To understand the Bible, you need to understand things spiritually. So it was a growth process for me. But as that word became entrenched in me, faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing the word of God, pastor, it governed everything that I did, such that even as I moved around from one network to the other or one responsibility to the other, I realized that it truly wasn't about me, and I had to make certain that everything that I was doing reflected him. Um, As I was listening to the Redeemer worship uh, team as uh, Felix and um, Pastor Steve Rivera blessed me with um, the lyrics. It resonates so strongly in me because it is the, the Christ that is in me that governs everything. So people may say, well, you know what, but, but how do you show it in the workplace? It's in everything that I do. Um, is it in Col- Colossians 3, 23, I believe it is? Uh, do all that you do heartily or excellently as unto the Lord and not unto man. So if I go into my job with that attitude, 
my boss can't help but be pleased because I'm pleasing the biggest boss of all. So yeah. that's the foundational stuff. That's good. Yeah. yeah, that's so good. Yeah. I want to pick up on one thing, James, and again, so much that you said there is so valuable. Let me, let me go back to one thing that you mentioned that was getting into a, a good local church. You know, so often here as a pastor, I try to enforce to people the value of church life and just staying consistent with it and how just over time getting the word in you makes a difference. Talk about just the value of your church life over the years and, and how it's facilitated your spiritual growth. The value of the church life in my life and in any saint's life it's crucial. It is the refueling station. And truly, given all of the difficulties that we deal with in the world today, one needs to be refreshed on the Word of God every day. We need to keep Him constantly before us. Pastor, I believe it's in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, I believe, where God was telling, well, certainly I know He told Joshua that as well, too, before He took the people into the promised land to tell my children about me morning, noon, and night. Exactly. Layperson's interpretation. When they sit down, when they get up, when you go out, when you come in, they need to know about me. So there is that constant need. So going to church, to me, I remember um, a few years ago, I was blessed to speak here, and one of the sermons I gave was entitled, Break the Huddle and Run the Play. Uh, isn't it cute to use somebody who's in sports to come up with a sports theme, but it was biblically based. It's very, very novel. It's very well, no, no, you're the deep one. You're the PhD. I always tell folks when I come here, I'm the elementary school substitute teacher. Um, but that was what was important to me. And I heard a pastor deliver that, break the huddle and run the play. But it denotes coming to the huddles yeah, here mm-hmm. to get the information, to hear the sermon and pastor you know, the Lord knows my heart. I need not engage in anything that's frivolous or shallow. You are one of the finest teachers on the planet. And I praise God for you. Um, as a matter of fact, young uh, Joel Espinoza picked me up to come here. And when my phone beeped, I showed him it has in there Pastor Dale online, six o'clock Saturday evening. So I do the football show on Sunday mornings. But Saturday evening, I get fed the word of God. So this is, I'd like to consider myself an adopted son of Church of the Redeemer. Our church isn't online. So I tune into you because you're teaching us and you're taking us step by step, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. That's important because speaking of the word little, out in the world, there's so much bombarding us. Every day that we know the word says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So I've got to make certain that I'm protected by putting on the whole armor of God, but that's growing in knowledge. And then wisdom is the right application of God's knowledge. So I do that every day, um, Pastor Dale, because believe me, the, the evil one is subtle and can pull you off track if you allow it. So, Good. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. That's I want to segue from what you said into what we've been talking about recently because I think you really set it up for that. We've had some conversations recently about mm. uh, about the world that we're living in now and the environments that are around us. You mentioned a moment ago sort of like a spirit of hatred in our world that's been unleashed. And we've talked especially, uh, you and I recently at the United Pastors Network, about, um, about young people and next generation and some of the things they're facing. 
And you know, you've been doing some work in that recently, so why don't you kind of fill the congregation in on some of the things you've been doing uh, with the next generation, some of the younger people, what you've been learning, and maybe some of the concerns that have been coming to your heart that will tie into our role as a church and how we can make a difference. So there's no secret that, um, as I shared before, you are one of my closest confidants, a pastor in the world that I deal with, whether it's in sports, and we see that a lot of issues in society are creeping into the world of sports. I mean, no, no silo, no segment of life is immune for what's happening out there in the world. Yeah. Certainly in the political environment, we see all this happening with coarse language, profane language, so much divisiveness that's there that grieves my heart. Um, but I call you to make certain that I'm staying true to the word of God because one of the concerns that I had in putting together the message for today to be completely transparent as I am when I called Pastor Dale and I started off by saying he made my burden um, light and my yoke easy when I said, Pastor, there's so much here, but I'm not quite crystal clear about how to do it. Would you mind helping me with this? And that's when we came up with this format here because I in no way wanted what was on my heart to be perceived as being a thinly veiled attempt at engaging in politics. That's not me. The only politics that I'm about is a Christian politics, the biblical worldview that I'm seeing. That's all that matters to me. And what I shared with you and you gave me such a relief, Pastor, is at our church, our bishop who went home to be with the Lord some 15 years ago said, James, the church is kind of like a portal However, the Lord leads you to what you need to do and mine, I consider in the secular world, secular ministry, but it's rooted on the word of God. And so this year, the past six months after the Super Bowl was over, as I've been traveling around speaking at men's conferences in various churches around the country, I travel with Marilyn Hickey over to um, to uh, um, Pakistan, yes, sir, uh, about a year ago and just seeing what the Lord is doing. But this past year, a lot of my travels have involved the young people and seeing what you're doing here at this church and positioning it with significant young pastors and campus leaders to prepare because young people are the best witnesses to deal with a lot of the young people out there and the issues they're dealing with. We had our Bible retreat. Uh, Coach Tony Dungy and I, um, about seven years ago, started a, a Bible study conference call. And uh, so people call in from around the country. It started when we were at the hotel in New York, when hotel workers would come in, they'd see us reading the Bible, talking about things of the Lord, and we would talk with them during the football season. But they say, well, why does it have to stop now that the football season's over? So we started the conference call. We had our seventh annual Bible retreat two weeks ago, and we brought in more young people. I mean, elementary school age and middle age. And Pastor Dell, it blew my mind in our little subgroups we asked the young people to talk about the things that concern them. What are the issues that they're faced with? And we wanted solutions. These are elementary school kids and the things that they denoted, guns in school, violence, bullying, gangs, trying to bring them into their family, inappropriate behavior by some teachers with students, um, Hypocrites, they say lack of good role models where you've got adults who will state a certain belief, but their actions are contradictory to that. Um, Racism and the resulting depression. All of these things which we know the evil one will unleash on us, nothing different today, 
Solomon said it, there's nothing new under the sun than what Jesus dealt with back then. And in the world today, people will find these things as wedge issues to drive us apart. It grieved me. So when we ask these kids, and a number of these kids come from very challenging backgrounds, we ask them, what's the solution? And some of them may not even have Christians in their home. Their answers were love and the word of God and good role models. Six-year-olds, eight-year-olds. And I'm known as the weeping minister at my church because I can cry in a New York minute. (laughs) And it grieved me that they know the answer and yet we aren't. So when I come to talk to Church of the Redeemer, because everywhere I have traveled, Church of the Redeemer members are everywhere. (laughs) At the airport at TSA, at the car dealerships in the service department, um, in, in financial services and the like, they're everywhere. But the thing about Church of the Redeemer members There's a light about them. They truly are salt and light in the world. And their attitude, their demeanor is one of love. And I understand that one of the principles that exists even across the spectrum is that usually 20% of the people do 80% of the work. So I'm coming to the 20% of the people here who may be doing 80% of the work in the body of Christ out on the mission field just to let them know that those principles that you teach out of the word unadulterated principles of the word of God, that's what's going to help us to win over these kids. They may not be our kids in our nuclear family, but we've got to model the love of Christ. And even in your runway series, the eighth attitude that you just got finished speaking about was Ephesians 4.32, be ye kind and tenderhearted one with another. Your United Pastors Network had a spirit of excellence and love and encouragement that permeated that place. And you bring in these world... Uh, renowned leaders, gener- I mean, legitimately world-renowned leaders, but there was a kind, tender-hearted spirit of sharing that all of us felt was conducive to learning so that we can go out into the mission field and model the love of Christ. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And uh, isn't that wonderful? It's so good, yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit more before we get into solutions, because I do want us to get into some solutions mm-hmm. to some of the issues we're facing in our culture today. And what the church world needs to do, as we as believers need to do. But James, from your observation, just in the, in the culture now and as a seasoned uh, man of God, what do you feel like are some of the root issues that are creating some of these issues for our kids today? What would you say would be at the root? And Pastor Dell, this is where I would really probably lean more to you, but in, in my limited experience, uh, anecdotally, those experiences that I've had, um, it's clear to me, there's a, a, a friend of mine, Pastor Dwayne Sheriff, who I met through Andrew Womack out at Karis Bible College when I spoke at the men's conference actually two years ago and spoke again this past year. And he's got a book entitled Identity Theft. Good. Identity Theft. And those people who are engaged in that aberrant behavior, being a part of gangs, and the leadership falls upon those of us who are seasoned as well as the young people who are being taught the word of God to model it. They don't know who they are in Christ Jesus. Talk about that, yeah. God defines who we are, not the secular society, yeah. but people buy what others out there have to say is success. It's in the abundance of things. It's climbing up the ladder, no matter who you must step over. 
God doesn't define that. In, um, in Joshua 1.8, it says, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night to observe to do according to all that is written within that thou mayest make thy way prosperous and then thou shalt have good success. success. That's his word. That's, and what your, what your congregation is doing is showing love and serving others. They're not buying into the narrative that society pushes along, whether it's in sexism, ageism, racism, classism, all of those isms. Jesus is a unifying person. His life was about unity. You've got members from 92 different nations here. That's heaven. That's heaven. And as a matter of fact, when we get to heaven, people may think that they're going to meet a certain type of God. They may be surprised when Jesus, rec- you know, welcomes it in and says, buenos dios, you know. So, I mean, please, <laughs> you know, the point is, it's unifying. That's what we're supposed to be about. Um, anyway, Pastor, I'm sorry. Keep me no, on no. track here. Go ahead. <laughs> you got a good sermon going there. I don't want to yeah, stop yeah, it. Go That's ahead. good. Yes. Yeah. yes, sir. So, let's talk about families for a minute, okay? Because we know that part of what we need to build into our for, for us to have the right witness in the world, we have to have strong families, right? Kids are hurting today because of family breakdown, family uh, disintegration, uh, dads sometimes being absent from the home, uh, pressures on family situations. So talk a little bit about that as a family, as a, as a dad yourself, as well as, as, as an observer of our culture. What do you think we can do to help strengthen families here today? So in the effort to be completely transparent, as I did at the United Pastors Conference, you talk about the nuclear family, um, and a nuclear family is where it starts. God gives us responsibility to make certain that the first government is in the nuclear family. Pastor, uh, I'm a flawed individual. I praise God that I have grown in his word and that God, Jesus, died for us while we were yet in our sins past, present, and future. Yours truly, um, and in my book that I wrote, I made certain to get an okay from my wife, uh, from my sister, and from my daughter. First, I had my child out of wedlock. Did it completely wrong. My child was not a mistake. I I made the mistake. And one of the reasons it took me so long to get married, age 43, and now I'm at the age of years of age, okay? (laughs) Was I did not want to, and again, just calling it as it is, in large part, in communities of color, particularly in the African-American community, and I'll take the heat if people want to take, take me on with that. I'm fine with that. I've got enough to back it up. It's a pathology in our community where we have you know, men running around creating babies, but not being dads. Mm -hmm. And the kids will watch what we do more than what we say. So I did not get married until my daughter was old enough at age 11 that I could sit down and talk with her and say, sweetheart, here's why mom and dad didn't get married and it had nothing to do with her. It had everything to do with me and my immaturity and not being wise in the ways of the world. But I did not want her to be a victim of another fast-talking James Brown to come along to perpetuate what is a pathology in our community. And I praise God that as I grew in his word, she's married to a Christian man. We've got four Christian kids, grandkids, four, six, eight, and 10, that my ex is strongly in the church. My wife, my wife is 
She knows the word inside and out. We don't have arguments. We have intense debates. And when we have our intense debates, she always wins because she said, let's see what the word of God has to say about it. So, Pastor, it is in the nuclear family first. Dr. Tony Evans talks about what is a kingdom man. Quite simply put, a kingdom man is one who follows the dictates, the principles, the precepts of Jesus Christ. And as he follows the Lord, then the wife will follow him. Just like the church is to follow Jesus Christ. That's it it's in, in its simplest form. So I praise God and we need to have those strong nuclear families. And where it doesn't exist, those of us who know the word of God, then even if that child doesn't belong to us in terms of a family relationship, they're in the body of Christ and we're all made in the image of God. Look, Carolina Albin was uh, my um, the one, the young lady here at Rhema, uh, Rhema my, my church, at Church of the Redeemer, who was, uh, I was blessed to have kind of escort me around at the United Pastors Network. Her agape love, she and her husband, the agape love that they showed was wonderful. And if we do that with kids out here, kids aren't stupid. They can see through you in a New yeah. York minute. If your game is a front, if you're a hypocrite, they can see right through you. Then we can bring them in. And it's a soft word that we can deliver something that will be a seed planted in that kid as well, too. But all starts in the nuclear family. And it starts with the man. It starts with the head of the household if he's there, because God will hold us accountable. We can't have an excuse like Adam did say, well, that woman you gave me, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's you. It starts with you. So praise God. You know, I want to uh, just, that's so good. Isn't it? Yeah. And I know, uh, James, we didn't really, I didn't mention that we were going to talk about this, but I think it's really a moment of the Holy Spirit here. Mm-hmm. I don't want to miss. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really, I love our, our church. I love our, all of our families really love men. I care about men because mm. I feel like the oftentimes that guys just sort of get beat up spiritually and they don't feel like they can ever really become the spiritual leader that they want to be. And they feel like, well, I've messed up or I've, you know, I'm not sure I'll ever be able to be that person. But I just, I want you to, uh, to speak to just for a moment, to speak to all the men here and just, just give them a word of encouragement. Tell them that uh, God believes in them. Just give whatever's from your heart. Just give them a word that would uh, help. I want all the guys to listen to this because uh, young, uh, middle-aged, older, I want, them to, I want you to hear something fresh from God tonight. Wow. You know what? Jesus Christ still is the example for all of us. I mean, this church is named Church of the Redeemer, not a Redeemer, the, the Redeemer. Redeemer. And that's the message to communicate. And to the degree that we follow his example, we will be successful. Way too often we have allowed ourselves to be wired according to what society says a man ought to be, where we keep things internalized. We are supposed to know all the answers. No, God says in Ephesians 4.16, every joint supplies. Now, God is going to hold the man responsible. That's what he did with Adam and Eve. And it's the same principle. All truth is parallel. He's going to hold us responsible. So we need to be responsible to learn what does the word of God say and model that behavior, period, no matter what the world says. That's a, this is our guide and what we're to do. So if we do that, I've gone to so many men's conferences and it's amazing how Men just feel like they can't cry. Pastor, when I came to sit and talk with you after internalizing the grief of my mom's passing for two years, despite being a man of God, 
every ounce of liquid in me came out. It was a cry fest for the first 30 minutes. You know what? Particularly those in a household where there is a marriage, your wife is your best mate. Ephesians 5.25 says, husbands, love your wives. That means also listen to your wives because it is every joint that supplies. And then if you're making a decision that's consistent with the word of God, success is absolutely yours, no matter what the world says. I got involved um, as an ambassador with the Verizon Foundation and they had come to me saying they wanted to raise a level of awareness about domestic violence. And whoa, man, that's a pretty brutal issue. But the fact of the matter is men had it wrong. They were not reading and understanding and applying the word of God right. So I am gladly, willingly involved in raising the level of awareness to understand what is healthy manhood. Healthy manhood is what the Bible describes healthy manhood is. Your wife should reflect you as you follow Christ. Your wife is a mirror of who you are. And your daughters are taking notes. They're little movie cameras watching how you do what you do, how you speak, how you act, how you talk, how you love. Love is the overriding element that we're supposed to internalize in everything, Pastor. I don't know if I'm giving you as good an answer as as possible, but again, if we look at the example that Jesus Christ set, then that's the example we're to follow to all men, and men can be open and transparent. Those young kids who were talking about adults being hypocrites, knowing that a parent or an adult said something or did something that was not consistent with the word of God, but refused to apologize or talk it through to explain that it was an error and here's how to go about doing it. That sets the best example for a young person than anybody who's saying, no, do what I say do as opposed to what I do. You know, that, that, that's, a, that's an inconsistent Absolutely, message, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really good, isn't it? So let's talk about, um, you know, we've been doing that, the runway series. We've been talking out of first, uh, Second Peter chapter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. It's talking about all the different things that you add into your life that makes you successful spiritually, raises your life to another level. And one of the things that uh, we, we talked about last weekend in the series, we talked about kindness, okay? And I want to come back around to that because you mentioned it a moment ago, and I want you to kind of, uh, because we had some conversation about this, this word and some of what you've been thinking about relative to how we as believers can make a huge difference just by applying that one thing. So can you talk a little bit about kindness to us and what you're thinking uh, in terms of how to live that out, some of the application of it? In terms of experientially, early on in my Christian walk, before I understood Ephesians 4.32 and what uh, being tenderhearted is all about, or in uh, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8, all the assets, characteristics, um, assets, attributes that you should have. Before I really understood that, kindness was a dirty word for a man. Mm. It's like, who wants to be thought of as being kind and soft? But in the corporate world, every time I would hear feedback, and this is not by virtue of patting myself on the back, this is the Christ in me, overwhelmingly, I kept hearing people say, well, he's a nice man. He's, he's a kind man. I'm like, God, you know, can they say something like, you know, I can get mad every now and then or whatever. But I praise God now because I understand what the Bible means by being kind and tenderhearted. That was Jesus Christ yeah. to the degree that we can do that. Look, one of the most vexing issues for these awesome 
um, law enforcement officers that you have here who are men of God, understanding their desire to be kind and tenderhearted as well, too. You know, it's so easy for us to put labels on them or to cast aspersions on them. My mom befriended a number of D.C. police officers and so much so that now we pray for not only police officers, but those in law enforcement and the military because they want to be kind. They're, you know, they, they're doing it, but they deal with the worst problems on the street on a daily basis. So I fervently lift up police officers. This is not a political statement. This is what we're supposed to do, period, because what they're dealing with out there and putting their lives on the line, I praise God for them. And the ones that I see here at Church of the Redeemer, I know their hearts. So we pray that they can be who they are all the time, even with a tough job. But being kind and tenderhearted is not to be thought of as a pejorative word, as something to be ashamed of. It is the best. Tony Dungy is probably the best example. So I've talked about the definition of it. The application of it is still my good friend, Tony Dungy, the best example from the world of sports. When he was interviewing for jobs to become a head coach, he had been doing it for years. And it seemed like, you know, why, why couldn't he get a job? He had apprenticed for the job. And then when it, he got to the one job, and I won't call the name of the team, that thought he thought he was going to get that job, the owner sat him down and said, how will you deal with athletes if they're not on target and doing something and they need a good, swift, you know, boot, if you will? Tony said, I'm going to treat them with respect. I'm going to treat them as men because I think I know how to do it. And he says, well, will you engage in a profanity-laced tirade to urge them on? He said, oh, no, no, no. My high school coach, Morgan Wooten, said this. He says, oh, no, I know the right buttons to push, and I'm going to treat him with respect. And the owner of the team said, you'll never be successful dealing with athletes this way. And he didn't get the job. For two years, Tony studied the best example of leadership that he could find, and it was in the book of Nehemiah, studying about Nehemiah when he went from northern, uh, the northern kingdom down to the southern kingdom to rebuild the walls of a Judah and looked at the principles that he employed and he got everybody to buy in and use the right approach. That's what Tony did. So when he got to Tampa, he turned that team around from perennial losers to perennial winners. They were trying to get to the Super Bowl. Little trouble. The team owners got anxious and fired him and he was hurt. But his trust was in the Lord and he wasn't going to change his behavior. Indianapolis called him one week later. He said, I'm going to apply the same principle here. And they won the Super Bowl. And as opposed to in the media, when you do an interview and it's recorded and they can get back to the studio and slice it up and eliminate all mentions of Jesus or anything. When he got that microphone with the world listening, he said, Jim Nance, my, my colleague said, Tony, what do you think about being the first African-American to win the Super Bowl? And Tony said, that was important. And I'm really proud of that. But first things first. I wanted to show that we could win doing it the Lord's way. And he did a respect in those guys. Wow. And they did it. And I'll tag it with this. And I won't call the player's name. One of the toughest guys on his team, you know, you know, off, off the field and not around Tony. Profanity in the whole nine yards. He said the manner in which Tony treated them with respect and kindness. He said... What he used to hate the most is on Tuesdays when coaches get the team together and they'll go over the videotape to look at mistakes that they've made. Not Tony would never curse anybody. He would stop that videotape. And the worst thing that this player said he could have Tony do is turn and look at him and say, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? 
That got to him more than any profanity-laced tirade could. So kindness and being tenderhearted and using it as a teachable moment, love always wins. Oh, Praise yeah, God. good. So good. Yeah. You know, uh, James, I had the opportunity through your connection to uh, meet Tony and spend mm. a little bit of time with him. And, mm-hmm. uh, and there is a kindness to his spirit that you just can't. Uh, you would think this Absolutely. Super Bowl winning coach would just be full of himself, but there's a, a real sense of humility and kindness that really a real man has, right? Pastor Dale, real, real he man goes, of God, real he woman goes of God. to speak before four or 5,000 people in, in corporate uh, promotional events or his um, Uncommon Awards that he gives. A couple of his books have that title, uh, The Uncommon Marriage, Uncommon Man, Uncommon Leader, doing things God's way, not the common way that the world will advocate and often he's talking to four, five, six thousand men at these men's conferences. They now have women's conferences, and his wife does that. And they'll have two, three, four, five hundred people give their lives to Christ. He will send me a picture prior to addressing the four to six thousand men as he walked through the kitchen area, got about three minutes of talk with one of the workers, led him to Christ. He will shoot me a picture of that because he's more happy about that. Than talking, it's not about the number of people, it's saving one soul. That's the way he yeah, is. That's Praise good. God. I had a, as a part of my conversation with Tony, I, uh, he was talking to me, he said uh, that he was talking about his church. And he said he actually got fired from ministry at one of his, one of his roles of his church. And I said, well, well, Tony, what was that about? He said, well, yeah, I volunteered for the parking lot. Can you imagine? Here's Tony Dungeon. Okay. <laughs> And they said, my, he said, my pastor fired me from the parking lot. I said, why did he fire you from the parking lot? He said, because all the cars were stopping asking for my autograph. <laughs> exactly. <Okay>. So, <laughs> so, Which so, is uh, why when I speak here, Pastor Dale says, JB, see that clock? <laughs> Make sure you finish by 30 minutes after, okay? Because we got to get the parking lot clear. Exactly right. So. And, and people will often misinterpret and say, well, Tony is a real optimistic guy. Optimism. No, 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 no. It's the confidence and the hope in Jesus Christ. Optimism, I think it was Zig Ziglar, the, uh, uh, the late uh, Christian motivational and personal development speaker. He said, this is optimism. He was telling a story about at a senior citizen home where this one woman was sitting across from the dining room table and she kept staring at the guy across the table and she stared at him for about five minutes. And, and he got very uncomfortable after a while. And he says, ma'am, could you please explain to me why it is you're staring at me? And she said, you look like my third husband. <laughs> same eyes, same hair color, same mannerisms. You look just like my third husband. And he said, well, ma'am, how many times have you been married? And she said, twice. <laughs> so, that's optimism, you know, but anyway, go ahead. I have no idea what that has to do with any of this, but that's good. So. <laughs> I yeah. like that story. It's good. Anyway. All right, James, so we're going to wrap up That's not the hope here. of Christ, all right? Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Okay. All right, we're going to wrap up here. I want to okay. do one last thing. Yes, okay. sir. Somebody's here tonight. Pastor Steve is over there. Get him off <laughs> no, the stage, Pastor no, no. Dale. <laughs> we're good. That was good. Remember that good. for the rest of the weekend. That's good. That's good. good. Somebody's here tonight, maybe mm. several people here this evening, mm. and they have never given their life to Jesus. They've never started a faith journey. They heard that James Brown is going to be at church this weekend. They admire you for the work that you do in sports or in, in, in journalism. And they thought, well, I'll come. And, and maybe they're here tonight and they've never given their life to Christ. I want you to take just a moment and talk to that person and just tell them uh, why it's important for them to make that decision now. Wow. Pastor, I know that 
each and every one of us has a God-sized hole in us, if you will. Not the most articulate way to describe it, but we know. I mean, even if you do a study in history, and, and you know, even the tribes in the most backwoods place, they all know that there is a superior and supreme being. You know, we called it religious. I mean, the Egyptians, gosh, they probably had about four or 500 different gods that they served. And I love the story of the apostle Paul and pastor, I forget the city that he went in. Paul wanted to be all things to all people. And when he went into this one city and you would know the name of it, he saw all these statues to these various gods. And we know the Egyptians had a ton of gods, but there was one statue to the unknown God. And I love Paul, as he said, as he was all things to all people, he says, gosh, I see that you are a very religious people. He says, that's evident by all the statues. But, but let me tell you about the statue to the unknown God. Pastor, anybody that does a diligent, assiduous search of the word of God, unbiased, just examine and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you into that understanding. That God-sized hole can only be filled by one. And as we talked about some of the ministry work that I've been doing, and I was talking to Joel uh, Espinoza and, and Henry and the rest, we talked about when kids get to college, so many people try to pull them off track, saying there's no such thing as one way to get to God. No, there are absolutes. The law of gravity is an absolute. You go stand up on the top of the church of the Redeemer and jump off and you will go straight down. So there are absolutes. I would pray that you would come to know what the truth is, who the truth is. And God is the truth. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you into that understanding. I can tell you, dealing in a secular environment and none even maybe in the world of sailors, none tougher than in the athletic world of dealing with some hard-nosed, grizzled athletes to understand that God is real. I so cheered on the Philadelphia Eagles this year because of the Christians on that team that it was all about God. Everything that we do is all about God, and we have such a loving God who is waiting before he returns so that everybody will have the opportunity to make a decision for Jesus Christ. Often people will say, no, well then why doesn't he just dictate? That's not love. Love is a choice. Yeah. And God is asking us, he gives us the answer to the test. Choose ye this day, you know, between life and death, but choose life. And I would pray that you would do that. Your life will be radically changed because God's word is true. In John 17 and 3, I believe it is, where he says, and this is life eternal, that they may believe thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I pray that you will fervently do that because eternity is a long time. You will go one place or the other. I pray that your place will be non-smoking. Praise God. <laughs> okay. James, thank you so much for being with us. And, uh, it's a blessing. Church, can we thank James? Thank you so much. Thank you. Wow.
I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray, and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus... I know that that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away, all things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.